Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before an excellent podcast, quick shout out to our sponsor, Brex. Brex is a credit card for startups, the first one ever. It's fantastic. They don't require a personal guarantee by the founder. That is a huge, huge deal. Also has great integration with QuickBooks, which makes life easy for your accountant. And finally, they have really good rewards. They do startup-centric rewards, so like bonuses on ride-sharing and travel and eating out and things like that, all things that appeal to the whole team at a startup. So check out Brex, and if you go through their sign-up and type in Cruise, you get a discount. Hopefully you enjoy Brex, and thanks so much, guys, for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting, and my very special guest today is Jamie Seglars from Guild Talent. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. So, two-time podcast guest here. <laughs> on the short and distinguished list of people, I'm excited to be It's here. a very short list. It's <laughs> a very distinguished. That feels like a Top Gun 2 quote or something like that. Yeah, right? well, we'll see how Top Gun 2 comes out. The movie trailer is pretty badass. Uh, I have high hopes. That's yeah, going to be amazing. For sure. Um, cool. So, you are the founder of Guild Talent. Do you want to kind of retrace your career and tell everyone how you got to this point? Sure. Um, newly minted, first time founder and entrepreneur. I'm super excited. We're uh, a couple of months in now and things are going great. But the short form of it is that I've spent the last decade in recruiting in the Bay Area. There's been a healthy combination of staff level recruiting as well as executive search. And all the while that that has been happening, my sort of professional network has grown and, and gotten this focus in what I would consider mid-career business roles, which are like finance operations, business operations, chief of staff. And there's a, an awesome opportunity for that sort of like director, first time VP placements. Uh, and having seen sort of both sides of the spectrum, how things are done well, how they're not done well. And given the network, it, it made a lot of sense to me. And yeah, off we go. I'm really happy for you for taking the leap. Like, I mean, this is a leap that Vanessa took for us seven years ago and I took four years ago. But like, I always, I always look back on that and it's like the best thing I did professionally it's also the hardest thing, yeah. but like you've, you've walked the walk and you built this incredible network and an incredible track record as a recruiter. I wish I could like invest in your company. Like I'm very confident you'll do a really good job. I appreciate that, man. The, someone said to me recently that a steady salary is the most addicting drug in the world. And so making the jump was indeed probably one of the harder things I'd ever done. Yeah. I mean, you're talking to a guy with 15 month old baby, a mortgage, a wife, like all of the things that rationale that rationalize not doing it. Um, but what I can certainly say is that, I mean, I'm confident in the service that we provide and the network and my opportunity to sort of like provide it. And in the first, you know, three months of being in business, it has sort of validated itself as having been the right move. That doesn't mean that it was easy making the jump or that the last three months have been easy, um, but definitely worth it. It's, it's totally worth it. And you find that those those pressures that you talked about actually become this like reservoir of energy and urgency. You're telling me. And I always tell people like, we can't really afford not to figure things out. So we we're, we become, I'm actually not the most resourceful for person. Vanessa's very resourceful. And so like, I'm good at like asking people how to figure things out or their suggestions. She's great at like actually buckling down and figuring something out. And you just become... I look at like my evolution as a person and I'm just so much better at like solving problems now 100%. because of this, this experience. I mean, in general, I'm definitely like a doer and also have a little bit of ADD. So I feel like I am quite, op quite well optimized in that there's never 
not something on my to-do list, yeah. right? There's never something that I don't need to figure out. And that's the way it should be, right? You're working a lot and you're working on a lot of different things and that's sort of just the early startup thing. And I don't expect that to stop anytime soon. So yeah, yeah the core sort of, you know, the thing that we provide is executive search for business roles for startups. And that's always like the core right down the middle, but then there's this periphery universe of needing to build a business, right? The service you provide startups is incredibly valuable because well, I think we'll get into this a little bit, but I want to talk about it now. Like, you are sourcing people who the the founders come to us. I see this because we have like 107 companies. I see like this whole thing play out. They'll come to us, two or three people, and they're they have a dream. They have a very clear de- definition of what they're going to build. They start building it, and they have success. And that success can sometimes be scary for them because now they got to become. They have to pivot from being just a great creator to like a great manager and building an organization. There's usually some bumps there. And you're really strong with your track record of like bringing in great operators to compliment them. And I think that's like, in a, in a I have a, tons of respect for what you do and the people you're bringing into these companies because it makes the founder's life a lot easier and you help the entire organization be successful. It's, re- it's really cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and I agree. Um, the, the thing that I see, right, with earlier stage founders and they hire, we were talking earlier about the first non-founder executive um, and what that role needs to look like, and a lot of it is going to be dependent on the actual founding team and what their strengths and weaknesses are. The typical first one uh, for the business hire is the generalist, right? Finance and operations, business operations. Um, but as companies grow, they, they sort of develop different focuses and different majors and minors, and so you sort of, the next is customer operations, the next is revenue operations, there can be an internal business operations person that's just working on systems and tools type stuff. And so like the strengths and weaknesses of the team is going to need to evolve and like the hires that get made based on the different like focus point solutions. Yeah. The beautiful thing about what we're doing is that there's sort of like a core profile of person, but then they've got these little majors, these yeah. little focuses and there's no shortage of that in the Valley as far as a need for companies to build out those strengths those muscles yeah. within the company also i feel like the one of the reasons why silicon valley is successful that no one really talks about is um in, in new york tech and la tech is that the the ecosystem is big enough for people to specialize yep. and so yes everyone has like the the first finance hire also tends to be someone who does a lot of operation stuff but they can people can specialize in their career as like a finance professional for startups or an operations manager for startups or the customer success person for startups. And so you build this like really deep knowledge. And then the cool thing is like when people have done their kind of tour of duty two two to four years at the startup they're at, it's easier for you to find them to, to introduce the next opportunity to them because it's very clear what they do. They have the track record. It's a nice plug-in fit with the with what the next CEO is looking for. Do you feel like that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's some repeatability, right, where people that do, they do the same thing for one or two or three cycles. It's not that they're tied to it for their entire career, but there are certain certainly like phases that people go through where over a 10 year period, they'll do the same job at three companies, three different times. And the overlay to Guild Talent as a executive search business that does that is this Operators Guild, this sort of professional community that is uh, an awesome way of like harnessing those people that are in those cycles of their careers to kind of not just me keeping in touch with them personally, but allowing them to keep in touch with other people that are doing a similar thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all day long I see it. And in the repeatability, 
I also think it's the, the major minor analogy is where you're majoring in something even minor and something else because they get so good at that core focus of their job, they're able to develop those minors that are super valuable to the company and other aspects. So I think it, it just really works. So you were, you were being kind of modest or you're being modest when I talk about your network, but can you tell people what, what the operators group is and, and how that kind of developed? Like it's, it's actually like a, it's like a little internet miracle, a little startup <laughs> internet miracle. Like I love it. It's an amazing resource. Everyone should check it out, but tell them what it is. Sure. Um, so the operators guild, is a professional community for what I would broadly consider cross-functional operations executives at startups. It started five years ago. There were about 10 people that we got together for a lunch that were all head of finance and operations, Series A. Um, They largely came from either consulting or banking backgrounds um, and were all solving the same sorts of problems at their companies. Um, And off the back of that, first lunch, people started inviting their friends, we all got into an email chain, five years later there's 450 of them that are in this community, uh, and the email forum and the lunches have now been overlaid with all sorts of focus events and online events and mentorship programs and cohorts, and we're now in like four different cities, and the thing has evolved into an awesome resource for all of the members. It's awesome to be in a position to be able to not be the one providing the value directly, but just facilitating that sort of exchange of, yeah. of knowledge amongst their peer group. Yeah. Um, and then certainly, I mean, I've been in recruiting since long before I started the group, um, but it's awesome as, a, as an opportunity, given like what I focus on as a business and these sort of startup executive business placements, that realistically, it's, they're less clients of mine and more friends and yeah. partners. And so like being able to be valuable for my friends is a fun thing. It's... I think you're still being kind of modest. It's this tremendous resource that people can ask whatever questions on their mind or, you know, who's the best real estate, commercial real estate broker or best accounting firm or whatever thing that comes up, like they have a group of people to ask. That's why I call it kind of a little internet miracle. And I I have a nonprofit. I started connecting people with patient support communities called Ben's friends. And like, I've seen this type of thing work really well for people with medical conditions and I give you tons of credit. Like you, you made this happen for people in a professional environment. And I just feel like it turbocharges people's growth, you know, like it's and that person who asked that question can look so smart at work and the CEO has, has their back and they know they're the person who can get the answer for them and then also implement the answer. Right. It's really powerful. We're doing a couple of sessions this week on strategic planning. Um, it's like annual planning, strategic planning. Everyone's going in. I mean, we're doing this podcast and it's August. So come September, October, people are going to be doing annual planning for next year. And it is exactly that, right? These people planning best practices, how should we do annual planning? And they're going to this training and it's a four hour session and three of the sessions now are sold out. We have to do three of them because it's such a valuable thing. That's amazing. And there are a million different examples of that sort yeah. of focus session that we're like putting together for the group. And you have like a lot of blog posts and people are writing, people are writing yeah. tons of answers. Yeah. yeah. It's like 20 or 40 emails or posts a day that people are, are exchanging. Um, and that's just on the, like the main forum, not to mention all the one-on-one conversations that yeah. people are having. Yeah. Um, so this is like your side project. This is like the thing yeah. you did for fun. So if, 
Real quick, where would people, if they want to join this, where do they go for the operators group? Yeah, I mean, you the easiest place, rather than spelling out the email address, uh, would be to just go to the link that they'll see when they're watching this podcast and go to my or my LinkedIn, um, and that'll take them to the Operators Guild website, cool. and they can sort of apply for membership there. Cool. I just I just think uh, I'm doing a big tip of the cap because it's a uh, like I know even like early in my career when I was like at Lighthouse and investment banking. Having a resource, like, like I kind of had to learn things the hard way or like maybe everyone in my, I'm 42, like it's a, it's like I didn't have Wikipedia growing up. I didn't have these networks of things that I could look in. So like I just feel like it's provides a tremendous service for people and it accelerates people's career. And those that are hungry and want to learn can learn exponentially faster. Yeah, I would say that it's hungry, but the the overlay that is most important is also humility, right? Yeah. People that are people that are okay with asking questions and admitting that they don't know everything. And I think that the really cool thing about the group is that it is a resource for people that are okay admitting that, and once you admit that, the sky's the limit, yeah. right? Also, I would probably just from my own experience with Ben's friends like people who give back. It's not a it can't be like a takers only kind of thing. You got to, you know, if someone, if you're the commercial real estate guy and someone's asking a lot of commercial real estate questions, you need to hop on that and answer those questions yeah. for the people because you want them to be there for you. Yeah. I mean, the value, the county question or whatever the question is, you know, the, the value of the group is the collective participation of the group. And I am incredibly humbled at how strong the participation yeah. is. And it is exactly the way you described it, that, it's this sort of social debits and credit system where yeah. you should always be giving twice as much as you're getting because you want people to respond when yeah. you have something that you need. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of the North Star for us when we started it was just be a resource and be valuable for your, your peers. And here we are four years and close to 500 members later and it's very much proving to be true. Yeah. Good for you, so, man. Yeah, Good for it's you. awesome. Um, so let's shift back to Guild Talent because that's like your startup, that's your baby, that's what you're spending all your time on. Yep. When someone's coming to you for an engagement, like what are the positions that you are really strong at recruiting for and, and how do you think about that? That core operational business operations sort of centrifuge is like the main point. And then off of that, there are all of these, what we were talking about earlier, the sort of minors, the different focuses, right? So there's finance and operations, strategy, growth, customer success, chief of staff, revenue operations, the core biz ops one. Uh, and then the other way that I would describe it is that we don't do a lot of like staff level individual contributor placements. It is that sort of mid-career director, senior director, step up VP placement. Um, and what I have seen to be super valuable in market is that there's a lot of executive search recruiters that only do C-suite placements and not as much focus that gets given to those sort of mid-career director level, VP level roles. Mm -hmm. And you know, for the, the time that we've been in, in business so far, we've seen like a very clear indicator that, that we can be very valuable to our clients and be a great partner to our clients and that there's an awesome market to be able to provide that service. Um, and so, so far so good. You know, Our thesis might very well evolve as we grow, uh, but for right now, those sort of core business roles at the director and VP level is where we're getting a lot of positive feedback from our clients. I love it. And that layers on really nicely with like those first executive hires a startup's going to gonna make because like a startup isn't looking for like a former VP of Coca-Cola, right? Like that would be a for huge sure. mistake, you know, and not even like a pre-IPO company is probably looking for that. Everyone is, they're looking for people who can take them to the next rung, you yep. know, a two or three year rung. And that's what you guys specialize in. Yeah, the 
the answer that I would have for that question is sort of a combination now of the network that I have built as well as like the placements that we make as a recruiting business. And what I mean by that is that the first non-founding executive is going to be dependent on the strengths and weaknesses of the current founding team, right? And so we'd look at that founding team and say like, based on everything that you guys have accomplished, based on the skill sets that collectively you have as a team, where should we look at what combination of those majors and minors? Yep. Um, and compliments of my network and frankly I would argue that I've probably had more conversations with more business operations startup executives than anyone in the valley at this point Uh, I would argue that there's very few people that would be better suited to have that conversation with you about what that first non-founding executive should look like not to mention to have the network to be able to go track them down for you yeah that's really that's really it's really powerful actually because I see it on the other side of the equation where a, someone comes in, the first hire is made in like a finance operations person that we're interfacing with. And it's it's a little bit like the bad hire can really mess up a company. Sure. And it, it's like a waste of money. It screws people up. It's confusing to everyone. There's a place that you did for one of our clients called Fleetsmith that's going really, really well. And the person you found for them is is doing a great job on the transition. And then we've had other experiences in our past where they the company didn't even consult us or didn't know what they were really looking for and didn't have that like spec and, and kind of have the right signals down. And it turns into like a giant clusterfuck. It's like, it's really painful for everybody, including the CEO who hired the people. So I've lived the good and bad. Maybe, maybe you can talk about like, maybe you can even use the Fleetsmith example of like, what do you look for and how do you make sure it goes well? Sure. I mean, Fleetsmith is like an easy, perfectly relevant, like squarely aligned example of the type of placements that we make as a business. And what I mean by that is that like Trang's focus is finance, but given the size and the stage of the company's 50 person series B company, they're working with Cruise Consulting. They love Cruise Consulting, by the way. And so there's an opportunity for Trang to be relevant, not just in finance, but in the sort of like operational components and the business operations components of sort of like how the engine runs. Yeah. So it becomes it becomes less of just a pure FP&A role and much more of this sort of cross-functional operational thing. Um, and when we were when we were scoping out the role with Zach, that was super apparent, right? We love working with crews. This is not purely a finance role. This is a building role. Yeah. And those are the companies that are looking for someone that comes from her background, right? The the banker that has like seen this at scale. She saw, she had a great run at TalkDesk and sort of saw best in class across all those different functions of the business. And we were able to, to pull her out of TalkDesk and help her find Fleetsmith, which was like an awesome experience for us. Yeah, the, some like common mistakes I see when people are making that first kind of hire is they'll hire, like you, you talked about her banking experience, but really she also has a lot of operational experience. For sure. Operational accounting. So I can't tell you how many times someone's been like, Guess what? We have a new VP of finance. We hired uh, my friend who did uh, investment banking. And that, that is not what you need at a startup. It's great to have that as part of their yeah. experience level. But what you, you actually need a really heavy operational component. Like the nitty gritty, like how the software systems work, how you architect processes, how you like that's not something they teach in investment banking. Sure. I did investment banking. <laughs> I know this kind of stuff. I even know it from having joined crews. I had to like learn all the operational stuff during my first year. It was like Vanessa spent a lot of time teaching me a lot of the stuff. So like that's that's something that I think Fleet Smith nailed was getting someone that has like on the ground operational experience that actually 
can hit, it, cause that person can hit the ground running and make a contribution like day one. It's not sure. about, it'll take sometimes when we'll talk to the people, the founders who hired like the investment banking person will be like, well, why did you hire this person in a polite way? And they'll be like, I really need like a good financial model. And we'll be like, that takes two weeks. That's like a two week project. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We, uh, I went through this exact conversation with Zach and we looked at a couple of different profiles that were more junior and more senior than Trang. We talked about the profile of the person that came right out of banking and had immediately the same response, right? Yeah. Of like, is this person going to have the operational chops and have seen the exposure that we need them to, to be able yeah. to make an impact where we need them to make an impact. Yeah. And the beautiful part about Guild Talent, at least from my perspective, and the idea of like partnering through this project journey is starting with a healthy calibration exercise to go through what we think people look like on paper versus what those conversations actually produce and like helping you evolve what the role needs to look like. And Zach was a great partner for us at Fleetsmith, the CEO, and sort of going through that journey and ultimately resulted in what we wanted it to result in, which is finding the right person for the job. Yeah. Right? It doesn't surprise me. He's, he's an amazing person and th that can be successful for a reason. Um, and he, him and Jesse and the whole team and Leslie, they're, they're amazing. So, um, and then maybe just spend like one second on just flushing out the other things that person can do besides like finance. Like what are the, what are the key operational contributions you see that kind of first VP finance, VP of operations uh, doing? Yeah. So in general, the way that I would categorize that is that when we're setting up a company to scale, the idea of like systems and process and tools and data and making sure that that like you're steering away from the garbage in, garbage out thing that can yeah. like stall and stagnate a company and stop you from scaling. And so it's sort of creating that foundation um, within whatever your majors and minors thing is, right? But it's super important that the stronghold of whatever your core is, is able to speak and sort of communicate with the other parts of the business. Um, and so Trang, again, as an example, right? Like part of her job is gonna be to look at like, what we're doing now is like, do we have the right systems in place, the right processes in place? Are we collecting the right data sets to be able to 5X the company yep. in the next 12 or 18 months, right? Yeah. Um, and I would say that that's collectively very true across all of the clients that we have. We just kicked off a director of revenue and business operations for Elation Health yesterday. Nice. And it's the exact same thing, right? Yeah. The person needs to set the foundation for sort of like the sales and go-to market team, worried about churn, worried about the sales funnel, collecting all that data from the marketing team, all that sort of stuff. But ultimately... Its focus is revenue operations, but the business operations component is just making sure that the engine is running the way that yeah. it needs to. I think also, and you, we were kind of talking off mic, just catching up, that person being comfortable with fixing things that break, because I think the engine's a really good analogy, because like there's points where you rev your engine sometimes and if something breaks, and being able to like come in and let's say diagnose what's not working because as these companies grow, they, they blow through these like plateaus and something inevitably breaks. So like maybe the CRM system needs to be replaced by something more robust, or maybe the billing system isn't working as, as it needs to be, or maybe the customer success uh, tools or process is broken. And, but being comfortable fixing that and getting your hands dirty, to me, that's like the most critical thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, none of the startups that we work on are looking for an ivory tower person that yeah. can just look down at something and say that it's broken, right? Yeah. There is an incredible amount of value of someone that can be a strategic thinker, 
that can like sit down and think about an answer to the question of is what we are doing now going to be the thing that's going to get us somewhere else? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then to be the person to go and implement that change and to get it set up for where we need to go. Yeah. And that's the foundation that allows for scale, right? Yeah. There's absolutely an art to it. There's sort of a level of people's career and a sort of personality set that's going to allow them to want to do that. Some people are awesome doers. Some people are awesome thinkers. But what I see more often than not in these sort of cross-functional roles, cross-functional operational roles, um, is that you need both. Yeah, that's really cool. Talk about, like, if someone wants to engage Guild, how, how, like, I love that you have, like, a diagnosis period or, like, a meeting of the minds period. But maybe walk them through, like, how they, from, from reaching out to you to, like, your process for taking them through the whole hiring cycle so they can visualize this. Sure. I mean, the thing that we provide is not rocket science, first of all, right? We're very good at what we do, but we kind of play this game called we work the system because the system works. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll take as absolutely long as we have to with that diagnosis calibration period because ultimately getting clear about what the role needs to look like, why the role is open, who's going to be working with this person either directly or dotted line, um, getting that clarity. And then from the network's perspective, um, it's super valuable for me to be able to consult to the CEO about like whether that profile exists realistically in market or whether you're asking for too much or whether we could be looking for additional yeah. stuff. And so that first sort of calibration can take anywhere from a day to two weeks. Ultimately, Are there any secrets to making it faster or work better? Or is it just like, just depends on the situation and you know what the organization needs? Yeah, I mean, the more well sort of understood about why the role is open and what they're going to be doing is probably the secret but part of why companies hire us is to help them figure that out so sometimes they already know the answer and it's very clear and sometimes we have to help them find the answer right i live that every day on the account (laughs) like some companies come to us because the car is broken and they don't know how to fix it others know exactly what they want and they found us because of that and i yeah. yeah and each has its own challenges and its own benefits. Yeah, yeah, and like part of being a professional services business is being able to be a little amoebic and yeah. to be able to like be the, the partner that you need them to be, yeah. right? Once we know what the profile is and there's there can be a healthy back and forth about we think it's one of these two, so let's sort of pressure test both of them. Um, I mean, the meaty central part of the process is candidate development, market mapping, research, identifying like who are the best people for this job, mm-hmm. um, and then compliments of my personal network. We've found it to be awesome as it relates to going and doing not just candidate development, but like candidate engagement and like getting on the phone with them and helping them understand why this is an awesome opportunity. That's a, just pause for one second. That's an amazing subtlety because like a lot of people get hit up for like the, the passive, uh, fire an email or LinkedIn to 500 people or hundred people. Yep. What, what you're talking about is like a, is like almost the beginning of a sales process to that candidate and it's a high touch. Yeah. I really sure. like that. That make, cause you're breaking through the noise and you're getting them interested in the company. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of jobs that that, uh, I'm sure candidates pass up on because it was just one of four recruiter emails that they got sent that day, right? And so figuring out a way of making sure that it's relevant. First of all, I don't like the spam game of sending a bunch of messages to a bunch of people, right? I would much rather work smarter than work harder and sort of like have that be the brand that we're building as a business. Mm-hmm. And so far, it very much speaks true to how we're running our business, I think. And so like getting in touch with the right people for the right jobs and getting in touch with them in the right way is sort of the name of the game. And we have a unique way of being able to do that given the network. Yeah, that's really phenomenal. 
So, so as you as you engage them on a, you engage the candidate one on one. You're trying to get them interested, engaging multiple candidates. How do you? I've always wondered about this. Like, how do you message back to the CEO or the hiring manager? What's your process for that? Like, how do how do you communicate back to the team that engaged you? Gosh, like smoke signals, carrier pigeons, text <laughs> messages. It's like you know, hell or high midnight water. phone calls. <laughs> exactly. Actually, a, a guy, the guy that introduced me to you, Mike Piacente, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. he shared, he runs a CISO search business, yeah. he, like place security, security officers, officers yeah. yeah. And he shared something with me once that was super valuable, which is that um, our business is about controlling the little things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that like that communication cycle that you're referring to is a very simple thing in concept, but can go wrong if you let it go wrong. Yeah. Um, and so part of the process is a like structured standard, standardized, mandatory weekly catch up call. That's smart. We're going over like the pipeline reporting deck. Like you have to be on this video call and we are going to go through it together. Yeah. Um, because we're going through this journey of this project. We and- do that too on our monthly financials. We mandated that. We also made it free and it was like a game changer. Like four years in or seven years in for Vanessa, we're still finding these game changing moments. And 100%. like having them buy in to the process and yeah. making them be on that unbottlenecks everybody and makes everything so much more efficient and makes you successful. It's, yeah. it's really cool that you do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the difference between being a partner and being just sort of a throw mud against the wall recruiter, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, if you're not on that call and it's not worth a half hour of your time, I would wonder if you're invested in the partnership yeah. and whether this hire that you've asked us to make is really, like, yeah. an, a needed hire. Yeah, and, and we, you're not in it for, like... You're in it for a long-term relationship and many, many assignments and many things like that. Like for sure. Some, sometimes people, because our businesses are kind of similar, they'll be like, well, I'm paying you still. Like, why do you care? And it's like, actually, we're in it for like the long term. We want yeah. your company to do well. I want you to be successful. Yeah. And it's like, and we drive a lot of satisfaction off of that, like doing our job well. Like, we're not robots. We're human beings that come to work every day with a lot of pride. Yep. And so having that feedback loop makes you successful and that's what what drives us. And I think it's yeah. the same for you. And I like I appreciate what you said about you know like you're a human that comes to work and I want to work with people that want to work with me. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. simple, right? Yeah. Um and so that is a big, big part of the process. If you broke it down into sort of three phases, right? You have that initial calibration phase, in the middle is the sort of meaty candidate development, candidate engagement phase. And then you get towards the end where it's, you know, closing time, references, all those sorts of things. And that's like, that's the funnest part of the whole thing, realistically, is sort of like getting the, like, that's when there's a lot of excitement. You know, you found the right person. And ultimately, it's when we're getting closest towards having a successfully completed project, which, you know, that's to your point why we're here, right? You enjoy that. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, you built, I'm really excited to see where the company goes because you've got the foundation for everything. And I was actually, as we're talking here, I'm just reflecting on like, I feel like you're a different person than our last podcast in the sense that like you're, you just have such a clear eye of the tiger and know exactly what you're doing and know exactly how to, you know, it's like, it's, it's cool to see in the same way that I'm like a different person. Like I've, I've really grown and it's really fun. I enjoy my job and I understand how to do everything. And it's just cool to see where we both come from, you know? 
so I have a couple random questions that we like to ask. Uh, number one tip for startups, bring in the first founder executive, like we non-founder executive. So we covered that a little bit, but just the quick answer for you. They need to have that conversation internally and they need, they're allowed to argue and they're allowed to have debate about what they think that profile may or may not look like. But once this sort of direction has been chosen, they do all of that sort of front loaded work to yeah. get on the same page. They all need to be on the same page. I think that the, the sort of Achilles heel of the thing is where one person's looking for someone that looks red and the other person's looking for someone that looks blue. They're never going to be on the same page. And so getting that alignment, either with the help of a partner like me or internally, hell or high water, that that has to get accomplished. Yeah, I can see how that, because they can unintentionally send mixed signals to the candidates too, if they're not aligned. And so you massaging that relationship. Also, I think probably a brilliant selling point for you is like you actually know, you probably actually know what they need because you've done yeah. it many times. You know you can read the tea leaves. And so you can guide the conversation to help them be successful. Yeah, and we'll help introduce them to different people that have different strengths and weaknesses to help flesh that So they that can out, see. That's right? really smart. Um, and then the next part of that is to sort of control the process, right? Like yeah. making sure that we're interviewing the candidates for the right things and that different people are pressing on different points to sort of flesh out whether this person is indeed the right person or not. Yeah. In general, this isn't just focused on the first founder hire, first non, non-founder executive hire, but you know, having a solid, clean, crisp recruiting process. Yeah, that's just a signal too. You right, know, it's like sure. professionalism and this is how we run the company. Yeah. Top three tips for startups scaling their developer team. So you do a lot of finance ops, but you do a little bit of kind of yeah, I've got a lot of experience yeah. with the developer stuff in the past. Yeah, um, and maybe the, some of the, maybe some of the answer is operations. You know, be, helping that developer team be operationally sound. Yeah, I mean, the answer to your question is going to depend obviously on the size and stage of the company. But what I would say, and anyone who's done this before will freely admit that it takes longer and it takes more time through the process than what you originally think. So, I always suggest starting early. Right. Tip number one would be start early. Tip number two is to like always be dedicating time to this, whether yeah. you have an open role or not. Yeah. 15 or 20% of your week, even when you don't have any hires. That's a really good point. Needs to be spent on yeah. this. Having the sort of like passive candidate pool. Yeah. Um, and then number three is invest, right? Yeah. Like this, the thing that we provide as a service is like pointed towards these director and VP business hires as it relates to building out your developer team, whether that team is in San Francisco or in another country or remote, yeah. in any case, companies typically don't hire an internal recruiter to build the staff level of their organization mm-hmm. early enough. Yeah. Um, and it can be an incredibly impactful hire. That's a really good, you're nailing it today, this is awesome. <laughs> Remotes is, is more popular than ever. We're super remote, like we made the commitment 18 yeah. months ago and it's working really, really well for us. Maybe some of the tips or, um, or maybe the benefits of going more remote and then tips on how to execute hiring remotely. Yeah, um, you used an interesting word when you said we made the commitment. Like there has to be this sort of like we're jumping in with two feet thing. It's always going to start with making that first hire and like one tip that I would have for remote is like realize that this is a different hire. They're not like culturally it shifts the company, but that is not necessarily a negative culture shift. It's just a different culture shift. All of the clients that we've worked with that have hired remote people, whether it's through the guild or not, they're not looking back, right? It's the wave of the future. There's like all of these tools that are allowing remote employees to be just as valuable, if not more. Um, And you just sort of need to, 
become okay with it. Yeah. I would also argue a little bit that people that like are mandating that people are in San Francisco, you sort of have to ask yourself why that you're doing that, right? Just sort of take a look in the mirror about whether people can add value and you don't need to sort of like oversee them physically yeah. every day in the office. We found that making that commitment made us shift, um, maybe really made us open up transparency wise with organizationally. And so now like every morning meeting, we have a whole list of KPIs we run through. Each group does a m- way more extensive presentation on what they're doing and their goals. And it's, it was done because we wanted to communicate better with our remote people, but actually it was just super beneficial to the company in general. Like it was totally the way we should have been running the company for years, but we didn't have that catalyst yep. and that, that serves as a catalyst to, to make us better. So it's, it's, it's really powerful. I've kept you longer than I promised. I'm sorry. Uh, can you tell everyone where to find Guild Talents, how to reach out to you, how to engage you? Sure. The website is uh, guildtalent.com, G-U-I-L-D talent.com. Um, I'm sure that when this gets posted somewhere, there'll be a link to my LinkedIn. So it's obviously on my LinkedIn as well. Yeah, that's it. Jamie at guildtalent.com. Cool. Can't recommend you enough. Unsolicited promotion here. You are awesome to work with. You deliver for our clients. Um, and uh, I'm really happy that you're on your own and starting your company. And I look, I look forward to like 12 months from now, and you'll be like, oh my god, we're up to eight people, and I have all these problems. And you know, I'll be like, oh, I remember that. I can tell you how to do that. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, it's really exciting. And congrats on everything you built in your career. Cool. Thanks, dude. All right, Thank you. Take care. Yep. Hope you enjoyed that episode of Founders and Friends podcast. Quick shout out to Brex, the first startup credit card. Brex is our sponsor and we really appreciate their support. Brex has no personal guarantee for founders. That's a really big deal. It integrates really nicely with QuickBooks. Great rewards that are startup centric. It's a really nice little tool and we are seeing it uh, all across the Cruise uh, portfolio of clients. So check it out. And again, if you go through the sign up flow and type in Cruise, you get a discount. So hopefully you'll check out Brex. Thanks again for the support on the podcast, guys. Take care.